One verse, and then uh, we can be seated. Can you read it with me? Proverbs 18.10. The name of the Lord is a strong tower. The righteous run to it and are safe. Have you run to the name of the Lord this week? Amen. God bless you. And tell your neighbor as you're being seated, run to the name of the Lord. Got a very wonderful email uh, last night from the police chief of uh, Rockwall. And he called or, or wrote an email and said, just wanted you to know that I listen to you every day on the way home. And the, the messages that I'm getting from your church and, and from what God's given you in the Word is just blessing me every day. May God give you God's speed. And he said, I know so many people who are listening. And that's way out there in Rockwall. And, and that's just a real blessing. Really appreciated that. You know, people are hungry for the Word of God. They're just hungry for the Word of God. We don't have anything special. We just grow grass and the sheep eat. Amen. Uh, if I w- were not a pastor and just out there and looking for a church, I'm going to tell you what I'd look for. I'd look for someone somewhere that was just teaching the Word and could build me up in the faith. I'm just looking for the Word of God. I'm hungry for the things of God. Amen? Just where I can worship Him and listen to His Word being taught. That's what I want. Well, that's what we're going to do. We're starting a series tonight on the names of God. I was going to do eight of them, but I couldn't help myself, and I did 12. Amen. So I'm going to do two a week, and tonight I'm only going to do one. So some night I'm going to have to to add one and do three, because I got on the name Elohim, and I just kept going, and I kept going, and I I couldn't, there was no way I could do both tonight. So if you'll let me, I'm going to teach you the Word of God. We're going to learn learn about the names of God, and we're going to say them in just a minute. But I want you to notice something here. To the Christian, the most important thing of all is the knowledge of God. That's the most important thing of all to you as a believer. The better we know Him, the better we will experience and glorify Him. A lot of people don't understand that it's the knowledge of God that sets you free. Jesus said, you will what? The truth. Know the truth, and the truth will make you free. So I want you to notice now the cry of the Apostle Paul. What did he say? That I may know him. In Jesus' prayer for his disciples, he said, and this is life eternal, that they should know you, the only true God, and he whom you did send, even Jesus Christ. One of the most profitable avenues to knowing God. If I want to know God, how do I do it? Well, it's through that which was revealed in His names. We're going to cover 12 names of God in this series. And I want you to uh, say these with me. I've given you the pronunciation to the best of my ability. So let's say them together. The first one, Elohim. And what is it? The Almighty One. And the next one, Jehovah. And what does it mean? It means Lord. The third one, El Shaddai, means the all-bountiful one. The fourth one, Adonai, master of masters. And then the fifth one, we know this one, don't we? Jehovah Jireh. And what does it mean? Jehovah, my provider. Is it your provider? All right, Jehovah, my provider. Then the sixth one, Jehovah Rophi. 
Jehovah my healer. The next one, Jehovah Nissi, Jehovah my banner. And then the next one is, it reads like this, Jehovah Makedish. Can you say it with me? Jehovah Makedish, Jehovah who sanctifies. And then the next one, Jehovah Shalom, Jehovah who is my peace. Is he your peace today? Amen. Did he give you peace in the middle of a storm? Yes. All right. Now the next one is pronounced Sidkanu, or really actually Sidkanu. So here it is, Jehovah Sidkanu. And what does it mean? Jehovah my righteousness. The next one, Jehovah Roi, Jehovah my shepherd. And then the last one, Jehovah Shama, and that means Jehovah is there. So we can say Jehovah is here. Aren't you glad he's there with you during the day, there with you during the night? He's there. Now, let me ask you a question. Why does it matter that we know God better? When you get saved, isn't that all that you need to know? He's your Savior? No. Why does it matter if we understand his names or not? What are we going to get out of this series? What are we going to get out of knowing the names of God? We're going to know God better. Let me just give you a few things. If you know God better, you're going to be better equipped for exploits of faith. You're going to be better equipped for exploits of faith. How many of you understand that right now our church is in an exploit of faith? Amen? We're leaving a little canoe for a big Titanic. Although it's not going to be a Titanic. We're leaving a little boat for a big boat. It's a, it is a step of faith. It's an exploit of faith. Look at what Daniel prophesied about people who know their God. He said, they that do know their God shall be strong and do exploits. Anybody in here want to be strong and do exploits of faith? All right, it comes from knowing God. Knowing God. And then the second thing you're going to get out of it is the knowledge of God is a key to spiritual victory. The prophet Hosea said, my people are destroyed for lack of money, huh? for lack of a new car, lack of a better job. What's destroying the people of God? Say it. Lack of knowledge. He said a lack of knowledge, and he's not just talking about any knowledge. He's not talking about knowing how to run a computer or how to do a certain task. He's talking about lacking a knowledge of God and His ways. And because they lack of knowledge, a knowledge of God and His ways, they were being destroyed. Though they knew that God was there, they didn't know Him to the level that it was keeping them for the destruction that's in this world. Now, I'm going to tell you something, church. A lot of the church is being destroyed in our day. Now, I'm not saying they're losing their salvation, but their, their havoc is being wreaked on their life from a hundred different directions for lack of knowledge. Lack of knowledge of God, of His ways, and of His Word. So the knowledge of God is a key to spiritual victory. Now, another reason we need to know His names is we understand God's character and ways through His names. And I'm going to tell you what that will do. If you understand God's character and His ways... It'll take a lot of stress off of you. There are a lot of things that, are, that perplex the person that, do not under, that does not understand God or His ways. But when you understand that God tests the righteous, 
that God does not put us in a bubble where we never experience pain. That, that some of the things that happen to us are very easy to understand when you understand God and His ways. But if you don't, you're always dazed and confused, though you're saved. So, as we've seen, the Old Testament contains a number of names and compound names of God, which reveal Him in some aspect of His character and dealings with mankind. Now watch this. For instance, we can hardly understand or appreciate Moses unless we see him in his many-sided character of learned man, shepherd, leader, legislator, soldier, and statesman, impulsive, struck the rock twice when he wasn't supposed to, he had a temper, yet meek, the meekest of men on the face of the earth, God said. When I see Moses in the multifaceted sides of his character, Every time I see something else, I understand him better. All right? It's the same thing with knowing God. Every time you see another aspect of his character, you go, ah, that's the God I worship. Now I understand him even better. I, Paul said, I want to know him. Or even David. We know David not just as a shepherd, but as you read the Bible, you find him to be a warrior a king, a prophet, a poet, and a musician. So when I see him in all those different facets of his character, I come to know David better and better and better. God has revealed himself to us through his names. And when we see his names and understand what they mean, we get a deeper understanding of God and it buoys our faith. It strengthens our walk. And we're able to finally reach out and do exploits of faith and victory and power because we know God so well. I want to know God well. And you get there through his names. He's revealed himself. He's chosen to. So the first one we're going to look at tonight is Elohim. Can you say that with me? That's the first name of God introduced in the Bible. We're first introduced to God in Genesis 1-1 when the Bible says, in the beginning, God created. So the Holy Bible gets four words deep and we hear the name God. So in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Now, just for a little bit of refreshing, we all know that the Old Testament, we, well, if you don't know, you do now. The Old Testament was written in Hebrew. The New Testament was written in, in Greek with smatterings of uh, Latin and Arabic. But primarily, it's a Hebrew-Greek Bible. In the Old Testament, it's written in Hebrew. And so Elohim is translated from a Hebrew word. Now watch this. The first word used for God is Elohim. Elohim occurs... 2,570 times in Scripture. In the first chapter of Genesis alone, it's there 32 times. So think about that. Your Bible in the first chapter really wants you to get a hold of who Elohim is. In the first chapter, 32 times Elohim, Elohim. So do you reckon that if God, the Holy Ghost, is the inspiration for the Bible... And the first chapter 
in the first book. He's got Elohim there 32 times. He wants us to understand the name. I mean, if it's in there once, I want to know what it means. But if it's in there thousands and thousands of times, 32 chapters, in the first, 32 times in the first chapter, I want to know. Now, Elohim is likely derived from the word El. That's simple, isn't it? E-L, El. And El means mighty, strong, and prominent. In Numbers 23, 22, God is spoken of as the El who brought Israel out of Egypt. He's the El who brought Israel out of Egypt. In Deuteronomy 10, 17, we read that Jehovah, your Elohim, is a God of gods and Lord of lords. The God or El who is great and mighty and dreadful. Praise God. We're not talking about a figment of somebody's imagination here. Elohim lets us know that our God is mighty. He is awesome. And if you're on the bad side of God, he's dreadful. Amen? That's why, if for no other reason, I want to be saved because I don't want to be on the dreadful side of God. Old preacher friend of mine, in his own inimitable way, said to me one time, Jeff, whatever you do, don't tick God off. <laughs> now, you know what? <laughs> that's a country talking, but that's good theology. You don't want to tick the dreadful God off. On the good side, he's merciful, but oh, he can be dreadful. Now, it's also one of the names given to Jesus Christ. It says, the promised son and Messiah of Isaiah called him in Isaiah 9, 6, and 7, called him El, the mighty. El, the mighty. So Jesus, by Isaiah, is called God. El, the mighty. Elohim expresses the general idea of greatness and glory. It also contains the idea of creative and governing power, of omnipotence and sovereignty. Elohim means that God is in charge of his universe. Now, I found this intriguing, that only Elohim is used from Genesis 1-1 to Genesis 2-4. During God's massive creative undertaking, he doesn't use the word Jehovah. The Holy Ghost did not use any other name for God but Elohim. So God first reveals himself bringing cosmos out of chaos, light out of darkness, habitation out of desolation, and life out of his own image. That's Elohim. Now I got to thinking, why in the world would that matter to me? Well, let me tell you why it matters to me and you. Because we worship this same God who spoke, and he brought something out of nothing. He brought soundness out of chaos. He still brings order out of chaos, as depicted by Jesus who calmed the stormy sea. He still shines his light of love into the darkness of despair, he still restores and brings habitation and life out of tragedy. He is Elohim. Tonight, through Jesus Christ, we worshiped Elohim. And you know what? If you came in here and your life was in a level of chaos and some things just seem out of control, flying crazy, can I give you a word of encouragement? Elohim 
who said, let there be light, and there was light in darkness. He brought cosmos, soundness, order out of chaos. And the Bible says he has not changed. So guess what? If you give it to him, God can bless your mess. God can help you. How many of you can say, my life was in chaos until I came to him? And when I came to him, this same Elohim, through Jesus Christ, brought soundness and order to a life of chaos. Let me see you. Amen. That's the power of his name. That's the power of his name. But now there's another word from which Elohim was taken, and it's Allah. Now I know what you're thinking, and I thought it too. And let me just say to you that since Islam borrowed Allah, can I just tell you the truth about something here tonight? Uh, Islam really just borrowed from the, true, true, uh, the two great religions of Muhammad's day. Muhammad looked across the religious landscape, and he saw there were two great religions, Judaism, Old Testament worship, and Christianity. And those two great religions were pretty much ruling the religious scene. He just borrowed from them. That's all he did. And added them to his own mix, uh, hoping that borrowing those two would give him steam and momentum, sort of having the baton handed off to you and you run with it now. And he was hoping to have much wider influence by assimilating Judaism and Christianity into his own mix. So it's not surprising to me that he borrowed Allah. Okay? Because that's, that's the Islamic name for God. But here's what it really means in the actual Hebrew language. Uh, it means to declare or to swear. And it's another word from which Elohim has been taken. It implies a covenant relationship. So... Elohim also means covenant. And I've got to tell you all something. Without covenant, none of us would be here. We're here because our God is a God of covenant. Today, He delivered you because He made a covenant with Jesus Christ. And today, He gave you peace in the middle of a storm. And right now, He's moving on your behalf because He cut a covenant with Jesus Christ. And we're going to look at that in just a moment. So Elohim is seen making a covenant with Abraham. And because there's none greater than himself, he swore by himself. The Bible says that by myself, God says, by myself I have sworn. So in Genesis 17, we find God promising to Abraham, I will establish my covenant between you and me and your seed after you in their generations for an everlasting covenant to be to you Elohim. And to your seed after you. That's the word for God that's used in that verse. So instead of putting God, I'll just put Elohim because that's what it was in the original Hebrew. So he said, I'm going to be to you Elohim, the God of covenant. Now, you are the spiritual seed of Abraham. You, who have been covered in the blood of Christ and filled with the Holy Spirit... And the covenant that God cut with Abraham comes all the way down to you and to me. We receive the blessings of Abraham because way back there, Elohim, the God of covenant, cut a covenant with Abraham. And in cutting it with Abraham, he cut it with you and me. God promised, he said, I'm going to be to you, I will be to you, Elohim, the God of covenant. Are y'all glad tonight that we worship a God who is a God of covenant? 
He doesn't say, I'm going to do this one thing for you. And then later down the road say, you know, I've been watching you. I kind of changed my mind, I think. You've messed up a few times. So I changed my mind. What I promised you, we're going to make a little switch. I think I'm going to renege on that and back off. And you're on your own, cat. How would you like a God like that? But our God says, when I make a covenant, it is as good as gold because my name is Elohim and that means covenant. And I want you to understand 32 times in the first chapter of the first book of the Bible that the God of covenant is the God that made this universe. A God of covenant. God promised to Noah another example after the flood. He said, quote, but with you, I will establish my, what everybody, covenant, and the rainbow shall be in the cloud, and I will look upon it that I may remember the everlasting, what, covenant between who, Elohim and every living creature of all flesh. So when God was talking to Noah and cutting the covenant with Noah, he identified himself as Elohim, not Jehovah, Elohim, because he was dealing in covenant. Praise God. So every time you look up in the sky, I never see a rainbow. I don't think of this. When I see a rainbow, I think covenant. And I know we're not going to be overtaken by global warming. I mean, it just takes all the stress off of me. I know we're not going to be overtaken by global warming or global freezing. Amen. Because God said, I'm not going to let the earth be destroyed that way anymore. It's not going to happen. I'm cutting a covenant. It's right up there in the sky. One day this earth will melt with a fervent heat and all the elements will be destroyed. But the believing church will not be here. Because I read this week, God has not appointed us to wrath, but to salvation through Jesus Christ. And that's going to be the wrath of God. So now he says to, to Noah, I will be to you, or to Abraham, I'm going to be to you, Elohim, the, the God of covenant. And he said to Noah, Elohim has cut this covenant with you. Now when Joseph, this is really interesting to me. I love Joseph and the story of Joseph. When Joseph was dying, he told his family, I'm dying. But Elohim will surely visit you and bring you up out of this land. Who, what was he telling them? The God of covenant is going to visit you. Who promised and swore to Abraham and Isaac and Jacob that the seed of Abraham would occupy the promised land, not be stuck in Egypt. So he said, Elohim, the God of covenant, is going to visit you. And 400 years later, Moses showed up and delivered them after 10 plagues, took them across the Red Sea and into the wilderness and through the wilderness to the promised land. And why did all that happen? Because Elohim cut a covenant and said, I've given you this land. You're going to occupy the land of milk and honey. I promise you it's going to happen. And Joseph believed it so much. He said, when you get delivered from here, when God, the Elohim, delivers you from Egypt, don't you leave my bones here. You carry me on a cross with you. And that's a great picture of the rapture of the church. Though he was dead and he was nothing but bones, he said, carry me to the promised land. And it's going to be that way with millions and millions of people because of Elohim who cut a covenant with us through Jesus Christ. I'm going to prepare a place for you that where I am, there you may be also. And I will come again. 
and receive you to myself. That's the promise of Elohim. And if we are nothing but ashes in the ground, we, need, we can say to him right now like Joseph did, don't you leave my body in this old Egypt. You take me to the promised land. And millions are going to come out of the ground by the power of God in a rapture because we walk with Elohim, the covenant God. <laughs> Elohim is surely going to visit you and bring you up out of this land of the land which he swore to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Praise God. What a promise. Now, what does that mean to you and me? Why does it even matter? That our God is the Elohim who keeps covenant with his children. And what he promises, he will do. He's a covenant-keeping God. That's why, whether you like it or not, one day you're lifting off. You know, Kathy, I... Some, me and Kathy, we kid around a lot. She has what's called benign positional vertigo, where it's hard for her to look up. Because if she does, she kind of gets a little bit dizzy. And the other day I was joking around with her. I said, what are you going to do in the rapture when he comes? And, and I said, you're going to have to go up this way. Yeah. <laughs> and I said, about 10 feet up, you'll be healed and you'll be able to look up for the first time in a long time. <laughs> and she's back there laughing. Isn't that true, Kathy? And she's looking forward to that. Amen. And if you got a fear of heights, pray now. Because see, Elohim cut the covenant. Elohim cut the covenant. Elohim, the God of covenant, the mighty God, the God of covenant. And because he cut that covenant, just as surely as Joseph was carried from Egypt to the promised land, you and I will be carried from this planet to the promised land. Now, there's one last intriguing usage of the name Elohim. I want you to listen carefully to me. Let's wax a little bit scholarly tonight, okay? Can you put on your thinking caps and say amen with me? Amen. All right, here we go. Elohim in the Bible is used in the plural form. Now follow me. This is really, really rich. In Greek and Hebrew, singular and plural are designated by the ending that is placed on a word. Now I'm going to give you a real simple example. For example, the word for man in Greek is anthropos. Now do you see anthropos up there and do you see the OS that I have underlined? That's the ending. OS, all right? Now that means a man, singular, anthropos, a man. But if I want to make it plural, all I do is change the ending to anthropoi. It goes from os to oi. And when I'm reading Greek and I say oi, then I know it's not a man, but it's men. Okay? This is how Greek and Hebrew work. If you're going to make something plural, you just put that, you change the ending. Okay? There's one Jeff, there's four Jeffs. Singular, plural. Now, when Elohim is used, the Holy Spirit attaches the plural ending. So that if you're reading the Hebrew and you read it in Genesis, you read Elohim like there's several of them. You go, wait a minute. Because God said to Israel, what did he say? The Lord thy God is how many gods? One God. So you go, well, either somebody messed up and they're translating the Bible, or we need to understand something. So here's Elohim, and it's got the plural ending on it. The Holy Spirit is informing us 
that the Trinity, God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit exists. And that all three are represented in God's acts and his covenants. Okay? The use of the plural is God's way of saying, I'm three in one. This is really, to me, and I love words and I study words all the time. I love it. And to me, that is just too cool. And I don't know what the big debate about the Trinity is. It's very clear. And and I've given you the best illustration that I know of. H2O, water. You can have a glass of water. You can put it in the freezer. And that same water becomes ice, but it's still H2O. You can take it out of the freezer and put it on a stove, heat it up and leave it there about an hour or so, and it transforms into steam. But the steam is still H2O. You have three manifestations of the same thing. This is the way God is. God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Ghost. So right there in the beginning of the Word, we hear this Elohim plural. So that our first introduction to God is that He's three in one. Now watch this. For instance, John tells us that the Lord Jesus Christ, the Lamb slain before the foundations of the world, the first and the last, the eternally begotten Son of God was also involved in the creation of all things. Let's read this together, can we? All things were created through Him, and without Him was not even one thing made that has come into being. So there you've got Jesus, Messiah, also involved in creation. And we are told with with no argument at all, By John, Jesus was and is God. And if any ministry or people purporting to be Christian tell you anything else, you need to run, not walk out of there. Because any ministry that detracts from the truth I'm telling you right now is a lie, a false religion and damnable because they will carry people away from the truth. And the truth is God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, Elohim, plural, God, plural. Paul tells us in Colossians 1.16, for it was in him that all things were created. In heaven and on earth, things seen, things unseen, thrones, dominions, rulers or authorities, all things were created through Christ. So he wasn't just a long-haired, bearded, sandaled, hippie-looking dude in the first century that said some neat things. He was God wrapped in flesh, visiting earth to redeem us to spill his own blood. Genesis 1-3 informs us. Look at this. Here we see Jesus involved in the creation, but look at this. Genesis 1-3 tells us the Holy Spirit, the spirit of the Elohim, literally, moved or brooded over the face of the waters prior to and during creation. The Holy Spirit worked in total unity with God the Father and God the Son. 
in the creation of the world. All three were working in perfect unity when everything we see and hear and taste, touch, and smell were created. The plural usage of Elohim confirms all of this. When God said, let there be light, all three persons of the Godhead were involved. Isn't this powerful? They were all involved. Watch this. The greatest Old Old Testament example of of all of this is likely found in Genesis 1.26 when Elohim speaks of himself as us. Let us, he says when he's about to make man, let us make man in our own image. Now either Moses who wrote that under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit was having a bad day or he meant to put us, plural. And we know the truth and the answer, don't we? When God called Isaiah the prophet in Isaiah 6, watch this, it sounds schizophrenic. He said, he asked this question, whom shall I send and who will go for us? Well, which is it, I or us? It's both. It's I and it's us. We, me, I. Because I'm three in one. That's why Elohim is plural. Now watch this. In the New Testament, we find the Elohim working in unity to bring forth Messiah. Let's just look at this for a great example, how they work together. God the Father had his part. For God so loved the world, what did he do? Gave. So there's God's part. He gave his only begotten son. But then we see the son had his part. Jesus said, for this the father loves me because I lay down my own life. No one takes it away from me. On the contrary, I lay it down voluntarily. God gave him. The son laid it down. But then look, and God the spirit had his part. The angel said to Mary, The Holy Spirit is going to come upon you, and the power of the Most High is going to overshadow you. And so the holy thing which shall be born of you will be called the Son of God. God gave him, the Son volunteered and laid his life down, and the Holy Ghost conceived him in a virgin's womb. What you got with Christianity Virgin's womb and empty tomb. You got to deal with those two. Virgin's womb and an empty tomb. The scripture is clear that the entire creation, animate or inanimate, was not only the work of the, the Elohim, but the object of a covenant within the Elohim, guaranteeing its redemption and perpetuation. This is the mind blower. Before the worlds were created, the Elohim had a conference. And we read about it. Look, Paul could write, even as he chose us in Christ Jesus before the foundation of the world. The Elohim held a conference before Genesis 1-1 where it was decided they would cut a covenant to redeem you and me. And that each would play his part. Can you imagine that conference? God the Father said, I'll give you. The Son said, I'll go. The Spirit said, I'll cooperate. And then God said, settled, let there be.
All right. So say with me, the Elohim. Come on, children of God. Y'all are in shell shock. <laughs> I hear your minds working. All right. Let's try it again. The Elohim is a plurality in unity. God the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit are included in the first name of God, Elohim. Why does this matter? We're closing with this. Because God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Ghost, the Elohim, have covenanted to see you through every storm, to sanctify you body, soul, and spirit, to guide and protect your steps, to see you safely to heaven, and to resurrect your body on that great day of his return. That's the covenant of the Elohim. Praise God. Amen. So let's stand together, can we? Next week we're going to deal with Jehovah. There's no God like Jehovah. There's no God. Every time we sing that, I feel like a Jehovah's Witness. No, no that's a great song. That's a great song. But we're going to look at Jehovah next week. But how many of you are thankful for Elohim? Amen. Amen. Praise God. Lord, we thank you for the power of your word tonight. Thank you, Lord, for that great and awesome and mysterious conference before Genesis 1-1 where the Elohim covenanted to redeem us, each one playing his part. We thank you that we are a people of covenant and that you who have begun a good work are going to finish it and going to get us to glory because of covenant. Can we lift our hands to him and just say, Lord, thank you. We worship your name. Thank you for your goodness. Hallelujah. 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 Amen. Give the Lord a hand of praise tonight, can you?